Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the second episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford, and tonight I will be speaking with the author, Michael Jasper. So welcome to the second episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Uh, today we're um, happy to be joined by Mike Jasper. Um, Mike is the author of several novels, um, Heart's Revenge, which was published by Five Star Books in 2006 and was written under the pseudonym of Julia Porter. Um, the Wanoche Cycle, uh, did I pronounce that right? Mike? Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. f- that was also published by Five Star Books um, in 2008 this year. And um, uh, A Gathering of Doorways, um, which is pending from uh, Prime Books. Uh, also, um, Mike is a uh, um, very prolific uh, published short story writer. He's been published in Isomov Science Fiction Magazine, um, Writers of the Future 16. Uh, Strange Horizons, Strange New Worlds, the annual Star Trek short story anthology that was published by Pocket Books. Um, that anthology is no longer being published, uh, but Mike was published in one of the um, Strange New Worlds anthologies, and he's received many honorable mentions in Gardner Dozois's uh, year's best science fiction anthologies. So um, welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure, sure. And full disclosure, uh, we both had a short story in that Writers of the Future anthology, and we were just talking about it before we started recording the podcast, that we can't believe that that was uh, now eight years ago. Um, uh, A lot of time has gone by. Um, And so uh, welcome to the podcast, and uh, we'll just uh, jump in here and and ask you some questions. Starting out, um, do you remember the the first book that you read and and kind of fell in love with, even if it wasn't science fiction or fantasy? Um, this is probably a cliche, just for uh, you know any writer who writes speculative fiction. But um, the one that really sticks stands out for me was reading The Hobbit when I was in fifth grade, um, and it was just part of a an assignment for a class. Um, there's probably a handful of us, five or six of us kids who were, I don't want to say that we were like the talented and gifted portion of the class, but there are just, uh, a couple of us who were really competitive with each other. And, uh, we pretty much had burned through all the required reading, um, and we're ahead of the other kids. So the teacher to keep us from like, you know, um, bouncing off the walls, assigned us some extra stuff, including reading Tolkien's The Hobbit. Um, so I have my fifth grade teacher to thank for my current path, I guess, because she got me hooked. Um, I read that, loved it. Um, she even had us, um, our teacher in fifth grade even had us do like some side projects for The Hobbit, like uh, putting some of the songs to music. And uh, somewhere there's a rusty old cassette recording of me singing 
some of the songs that Bilbo sang to the spiders um, in Mirkwood Forest that I'm sure my wife would love to get a hold of <laughs> back in my uh, back in my 11 year old days. Well, if you ever <laughs> find that tape, let me know. We'll have to digitize it <laughs> and add it, add it to your podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that book, you know, and I've read it a couple times since, and you know, instead of it feeling like a kid's story it it has definitely grown and i get more stuff out of it every time i read it and uh like i said i have tolkien to thank for and my fifth grade teacher miss ranson for uh pointing me down this road of speculative fiction and i couldn't be happier um and so did you immediately start reading the lord of the rings or did you just start with the hobbit and and read the the trilogy later or I'm trying to think. I think I tried to dive into Fellowship of the Rings and it was a little bit, you know, the tone of the, the, the opening kind of felt like The Hobbit and then it kind of got dark. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I remember the Council of Elrond chapter, which to me was like, seemed like it would never end. And I remember just like skipping all that and jumping <laughs> right to the action later. Um, and then, of course, you know, as I read it again, I could see what he was doing. But it did, that whole chapter did feel kind of a bit like a big, long info dump. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, and after that, you know, I kind of got interested in Dungeons and Dragons and all that, and never really played the game, but just really anything that dealt with dragons and and sorcerers and so forth, I was I was hooked. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and just to 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 back up a second, um, you now live in in North Carolina, correct? Yep. Um, and you you grew up though in in Iowa, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So, so your your fifth grade experience that you're that you're referring to of, of reading The Hobbit, you you were reading that when you were growing up in Iowa. Yeah, yeah, back at a uh, St. Francis Xavier Elementary School, um, and uh, it's actually kind of surprising now that now that you mention it um, that a teacher would assign a book kind of out of the mainstream kind of curriculum like The Hobbit because I didn't remember very many, very many of my classmates, you know, reading or getting into fantasy or, or that kind of stuff. Um, and even growing up through high school, anytime I would have a book with a dragon on the cover, I would kind of try to hide the cover and not let anybody see what I was reading out of fear of, you know, people thinking, Oh yeah, he, that Jasper kid, he's kind of weird. You know, he reads that Dungeons and Dragons stuff with the demons and so forth. So it was, you know, I had to kind of hide my uh, fantasy and science fiction reading habits back then. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of had similar experiences growing up in, in middle Georgia. Um, I, I'm just curious. I mean, you, you, you talk about reading The, the Hobbit um, in fifth grade. Do you, do you have um, a memory or do you remember the, the first uh, fictional story that you wrote? Um, was it in elementary school? And, and uh, does that kind of stick in your mind? I know there had to have been stories that I wrote like in fifth and sixth grade. Um, the one that really sticks out, I think, is like around seventh or eighth grade. There were two. And then one, the one I wrote was basically uh, a Stephen King ripoff. Because at the time I discovered, you know, around seventh grade, I discovered Stephen King. And uh, anything with, you know, car wrecks and maimings and <laughs> things like that. You know, I think I read Christine by Stephen King. And that got me going down that path. And, uh, I really enjoyed anything that he wrote. Cause he just has such a readable style that he just sucks you right in. 
Um, but of course, when you're seventh or eighth grade, the thing that really attracts you to Stephen King's writing is the gore. So I do remember writing a, a short story about a guy getting, you know, his arm all twisted up into a, in a car wreck and, you know, describing in, in detail how his <laughs> mangled arm looked from the car wreck. Um, so kind of had the horror element in that story. And then I do remember another story that I, I do. I wish I still had a copy of called Victory at Castle Deepmoat, which is my high fantasy, you know, Dungeons and Dragons type story that I'm sure borrowed pretty heavily from Lord of the Rings and the uh, Dungeons and Dragons player handbook. <laughs> but I felt like it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, if I could find it again, I think there might be an, you know, an element or two that might be kind of worth saving. Sure. Sure. Um, well, having gotten interested in, in, um, fantasy at an early age and as you mentioned Dungeons and Dragons which I think you know most anybody of a certain age um, in the United States and I think other other places as well um, if you were interested in, in in anything offbeat in terms of fantasy or science fiction that Dungeons and Dragons had some part to play in that I'm, I'm sure mm -hmm. I know that was the case you know with me and, and a lot of people that I know mm -hmm. um, I'm just I'm just curious um uh, you know, and, and you, you talked about then, you know, writing these, uh, um, kind of Stephen King inspired short stories. Um, I wonder if you, um, if you remember, you know, later on, um, a, a specific moment when you, when you told yourself that you wanted to seriously pursue writing and I wonder, you know, when, when did that happen? And can you remember that? Um, there were moments, I think like in, in high school where I, I toyed with the idea and I would, I remember, you know, very vividly this creative writing I had, uh, creative writing class I had, um, I think it was my senior year of high school. That was a lot of fun. Um, and it was kind of your standard, you know, each week, a different assignment, you know, one week you'd write a poem, the next week you'd write a short story. And it was all about, I guess, just trying out different styles of writing. Um, but we had kind of a, your typical kind of kooky artsy teacher, um, slightly stoned half the time, uh, <laughs> teaching us, you know, fiction writing. And he was always working on his own novel, you know, on the side and talking about his, you know, writing endeavors. And I always found it very interesting when he would talk about the publishing side of it and, you know, how he tried to get his story, his novels published and what that was all about. And then of course, you know, I was reading Stephen King in his, in his short story collections. I think I almost enjoyed his afterwards or his, um, little bits about each story and why sure. he wrote each story and the inspiration for each story. I think I almost enjoyed those more than the stories themselves sometime. Mm -hmm. And I, that kind of got, you know, got that seed going where I was like, well, you know, if he can do it, I can do it, you know? Um, it made me want to try being a writer. Um, and that, that idea kind of persisted for a while through college. Um, I never really, tr you know, tried really hard, just would, you know, dash off a story here and there and, you know, maybe take a writing workshop here and there. Um, but it wasn't until I didn't really take it seriously, I guess, until, um, I was actually teaching when I first got out of college and I was teaching seventh and eighth grade English and reading at a really tiny, small school in Nebraska where during the winters there wasn't much else to do because <laughs> you're pretty much contained in your, in your home due to the snow outside. And there weren't a whole lot of, uh, social things to do because I was in a town of 700 people. Wow. So, uh, 
you know, I was coaching three or four different sports and I was also, you know, doing the things that you do at a small town school, like running the scoreboard for every basketball game or, you know, refereeing the occasional game or, you know, always involved with the school because the school was the center of the town. Sure, sure. But also during that time, the high school English teacher, because I was the junior high English teacher and a buddy of mine was the high school English teacher. So that was the grand total of two of us <laughs> were the whole English department. And he was always really interested in writing and he was always trying to write his own comics. And um, that kind of got me going thinking, again, you know, if, well, if he can do it, I think I should try it too. So he kind of got that bug going in me a little bit stronger. And I remember the novel I'm currently reworking right now, way back in 1992 and 93, I had the very first inklings of that novel. And that's those characters kind of came about way back then. So it's been a 16-year process in a way um, with those characters and that story. And I'm finally, finally now figuring out how to tell their story. Sure. So sure. it was around about you know the the mid '90s that I really felt like I got serious about it, and then it was after the workshop that you and I attended, the Writers of the Future, um, because the year we went, we lucked out, and it happened to be a year where they did like a uh, um, kind of a best of anthology, mm -hmm. and the result of that was that we had just like a ton of professional writers come in, um, including Dean Wesley Smith and Kevin J Anderson and. and um, Bruce Holland Rogers and just a bunch of people who were initially published by writers of the future 10, 15, 20 years ago. And they came back for this reunion anthology they did as well. So we, as a result, you know, us newbie writers got to just kind of, you know, bump elbows, rub elbows with these established writers. And, um, especially talking like to Dean Wesley Smith, I remember distinctly a conversation I had with him where I said, well, you know, Dean getting published, getting your story published, isn't it just like winning the lottery? Isn't it just luck? He's like, no, no, you, you got to make your own luck. You know, and the way you make your own luck is by writing. You write it and you send it out. You write a story and send it out. And then um, that got me thinking, well, okay, that seems simple enough. And uh, that kind of lit a fire on me and realized, that's when I realized that, you know, it's just all about getting your butt in the chair, writing, learning, improving, and sending stuff out. Sure. Um, and... You, you were talking about your experience um, at the uh, at the high school and teaching high school, um, and that's when you seriously started, you know, uh, you know, pursuing writing seriously. Is that when you also started submitting, um, you know, what you were writing? You know, I think I may have submitted a couple things. I remember getting like a pretty. Um, it wasn't a a, a customized a, a personalized letter from Weird Tales. But I think that was back in the days when they would send like a long two-page rejection mm -hmm. explaining, these are what we're looking for. Here's some ideas for the kind of stories we'd like. But I must have sent a couple things out, which fortunately never got published because I'm sure way back then, whatever I had written was pretty heinous. But uh, I didn't really start sending stuff out regularly until probably late, probably the late 90s, maybe like 10 years ago. Thanks for listening. We'll be back for more of our interview right after this.
The Kindle Chronicles is a Friday audio podcast all about the Amazon Kindle e-reader. I'm Len Edgerly, and each week I present Kindle news, tech tips, an interview, a quote, and listener comments. I've been a writer all my life, and I'm doing this podcast because the Kindle has simply renewed my love of reading. I hope you'll stop by for a listen. You can find me at thekindlechronicles.com or by searching for Kindle in the podcast area of the iTunes store. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and where did you go to college at? I uh, went to the University of Iowa for undergrad. Um, and that's where I got in into the English department. And uh, um, I never did anything with their writing workshop, which is, you know, the well-known right, right. all around the world workshop. I took a, a <laughs> class or two that was taught by some of the guys who were in the workshop, some of the TAs there. Um, and again, the stories I wrote there. The first couple, at least, were pretty bad. Sure. But sure. I think by the third story that I had to write, I was kind of getting the hang of it. Um, so then I ended up with an English degree with an emphasis in education. And I thought I was going to turn out to be a teacher. Gotcha. But then I taught junior high school for two years, and I realized I wasn't cut out to be a teacher. <laughs> and, and what do you do now for a day job? Um, right now, um, for the past 10 years or so, I guess, it's been um, I do technical writing at a software company. Um, and I've kind of jumped around f- from different software companies, but it's always doing some sort of technical writing, um, which at first I was kind of concerned about doing because I was like, well, I'm writing all day and then I'm trying to do fiction writing, you know, um, in the morning or at night when I'm not working my day job. But in a way I think it's helped, um, because it's helped me just from the mechanical side of it, the grammar and so forth. You know, I've, Technical writing forces you to be be as like simple and direct as possible, and also obviously having good mechanics, um, you know, writing clean, clear sentences, um, and just having that foundation helps you, you know, kind of riff on that when you're doing your fiction writing and improvise and play with sentences more. And the, only, the the biggest drawback really is just that I'm sitting on my butt for my day job. That I'm sitting on my butt for. Um, you know, fiction writing. So there's not a whole lot of difference or change. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And basically, I just feel like I'm sitting in front of a screen all day. It's yeah. like it's old. Yeah, I, I can appreciate that. Um, I'm curious. I mean, you, you mentioned um, earlier the the kind of formative experience of reading The Hobbit. Um, I, I wonder as you, you know, um, started seriously pursuing writer, um, as you seriously started pursuing writing your own writing, um, I wonder, you know, between, you know, that early time of getting interested in fantasy through, through Tolkien, through Tolkien, um, what are some of the books and writers that have had the most lasting impact on you or that you feel are kind of like your influences? Um, yeah, definitely Tolkien. Um, you know, unfortunately his main, my main experience with his work has been, you know, the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. I tried the Silmarillion and just couldn't get into it and any of the other stuff, you know, just didn't have any kind of story for me. Um, but, you know, I'd also have to say, you know, Stephen King really got me hooked early on. Um, and like The Stand, I still think is an excellent novel. I'm trying to find a version of it that isn't the version that he kind of fattened up. Sure, and redid sure. back in the 90s for whatever reason. Um, I still think that original version was a, l- a lot more tighter, more uh, more tight, I should say. Um, but uh, and even his Dark Tower stuff until like the last book or two, I thought was really pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the way, number one, just you know, just the way he tells a story, um, he just gets right in, throws you in the, into the conflict and the characters, gets into the characters' heads, and um, you know, just the way he kind of, especially with the Dark Tower books, the way he mixed all the genres together, um, and just created something new, I thought was pretty awesome. Yeah. But other other authors that I like. Um, I I can't read enough Tim Powers. Um, I I feel like every time I I read his stuff, I become a better writer. Um, even though I think some of his stuff is kind of challenging, um, just because he's Tim Powers. You know, we met him at the Writers of the Future workshop. Sure. And he sure. taught he taught some of our classes. Um, he's just an amazingly smart person, and he knows history backwards and forwards. Um, so reading his books is like a lesson. You know, you're taking a lesson from a master. Um, but I find that sometimes this stuff is kind of dense and hard to get into, mm-hmm. but once I get going, it always pays off. So I definitely think Tim Powers is right up there along with, you know, Neil Gaiman, um, and, uh, um, the neuromancer author, William, William Gibson. Gibson. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who's, I think just a great stylist. Um, sometimes his plots kind of don't get going, but, um, I just remember reading pattern recognition and thinking that he really seemed to nail that whole feeling in the world, and especially in America right after 9-11. Sure, uh, sure. So, yeah, those guys. Um, and also um, Maureen McHugh, her China Mountain Zhang was a great book, um, and just a totally different style as well. Um, and I, I, I need to read some more of her novels. She's one of my clarion teachers, 
and uh, she just has a great, just a great ear for for dialogue and interesting characters as well. And and what year did you go to Clarion? Uh, that was in '96. Gotcha. So, so yeah, by by '95 or '96, I kind of knew that the writing path is where I wanted to go. Is and uh, I've been kind of chasing it ever since, and um, burning myself out every now and then. <laughs> it, it seems to be very uh, cyclic. You know, you get you get going, and you get on this kind of uh, this rush where like a lot of things are happening, and then you kind of get burnt out for a while, and you need to recover. Sure. And then, sure. And then the same, on the other hand, you know, uh, life kind of comes at you as well. And, you know, it seems like now I'm kind of coming off kind of a low point just because uh, we just had our second child a year ago. Mm-hmm. And now that he's kind of becoming a little bit more independent and finding myself able to kind of pull out from underneath all that um, tiredness and, uh, you know, long days, sleepless nights kind of thing. Exactly. When you have a baby in the house, which you can relate to. I, I can. I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm curious. I mean, you, uh, you were talking about some of the, the writers that you enjoy. Um, what are, what are you know, a, a title or two that you've read lately that you, that you really enjoyed? Um, a recent book or two? Well, one of the things I haven't been able to do as much this past year, especially, is, is do much reading for fun. Um, mostly because... Um, when I do write, I'm getting up around 4.30 in the morning to write before I go to work. Sure. Um, and then by the time, you know, the kids are in bed and everything's kind of settled down, it's 8, 8.30. And I'll usually get two, 10 pages read at the at the best before I'm falling asleep myself. Yeah, yeah. So I haven't had, read a ton of books, but um, the, the most recent book I, I read, uh, and I'm getting read, ready to read the second book in the series, is uh, and I'm, I know I'm going to mispronounce her name, um, Justine Larbalestier. Um, she wrote a young adult trilogy. Um, I think it's the magic or madness trilogy. And, um, the first book I just finished was called magic or madness. And, um, I don't know if you've heard of those or not. Um, I've, I've heard her name. I haven't read any of her, um, any of her work, but I, I am familiar with her name. Yeah. She's, this, this was her first novel. And then um, she turned into a three-book series. Um, and then she's got, I think, a new novel out recently. So she hasn't had a lot of books out. But this one is really interesting just because um, it deals with a lot of the same kind of things the current novel I'm working on deals with. And that is, you know, young kids who are kind of learning how to do magic. Um, but she does it in a way that doesn't sound like or feel like a Harry Potter ripoff, mm-hmm. which hopefully I'm trying to do with my own books. Um, trying to come up with, you know, a new take on something, sure. you know, and not just be the, the epic quest of the, uh, the small town farm boy going right. off to, to slay the dragon or, you know, throw the ring of power into the molten mountain, you know? Right. Right. And are you working on a, a young adult novel now? Yeah. Um, and that was the book that I started way back when I was teaching junior high school back in the early nineties. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I didn't really realize at the time that's what it was going to turn out to be, that it was going to be young adult. Mm-hmm. But as I've worked with it and, uh, discussed it with my agent who read the most recent draft, um, I'm kind of realizing that it's turning out to be more of a young adult book more so than just a, like an adult fantasy novel. Sure. Sure. 
Um, I, I wonder, um, you've written both short stories and novels. Do you, do you have a preference between the two? Uh, do you prefer one over the other? Um, that's one of those things that seems to go on in waves, like in cycles as well, because right now I don't think I could write a short story to save my life. Um, <laughs> and before, you know, up until just a few years ago, I was writing stories left and right and the ideas were just going like gangbusters. But now I've written written a couple stories in the past year or two um, but never really did anything and they just weren't quite there I think just because your brain starts working in a different way when you start writing novels kind of regularly mm-hmm. you, know, you start the pace is different um, you know you don't end, end on a uh, you don't end each chapter like you would end a story you know um, so you you start thinking kind of I guess maybe in a bigger scope with novels while stories have to be more compact and, you know, you have, you have to fit it all into 5,000 words versus 90,000. Sure. Sure. So right now I'd say that novels are what I prefer, but you never know that could change in a couple of years too. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if you could, um, talk about, uh, your first novel, which was, um, a romance. And I'm just wondering how that came about. Um, <laughs> and the uh-huh. name, of, the name of that is heart's revenge, correct? Yep. Yeah, um, that one pretty much came out came about as a dare um, for my wife Elizabeth because um, she had been reading some Nora Roberts novels, and you know, she, you know, I sometimes will bounce ideas off of her. Um, and she's not a writer; she's an occupational therapist um, for her day job, uh, but she reads a good bit, and she always has a really good perspective on things. I think because she's not a writer, and uh, she was just saying one day, he's like, "Well, you could do this. You could just write a romance." Um, not knowing, you know, all the different, uh, degrees and the different types of romances that were out there at the time. <laughs> um, cause there's like, you know, probably 500 different variations on the romance theme. You know, there's a formula, sure, but you know, each type of romance works with it differently. And, and, and to the seasoned romance reader, there's a way there's, they're looking for, you know, original ways to spin that formula. So I had to do a little research, you know, I had to read some Nora Roberts and, uh, uh, figure out, you know, how romance worked or, you know, how, if I could actually do this. And, uh, then I just picked a setting cause to me, it seemed like what was more, most interesting to me about romances were number one, the characters, of course, and you know, how are the characters going to fall in love and all that. And then the setting. Um, so to me, I just picked a place that I really liked, which was Ocracoke Island. And it was this small island off the coast of North Carolina. And so as a result, I had to do research. So we had to go visit it. And um, we went to Ocracoke, which is a, maybe, you know, a thousand people living on the small island. Um, and a lot of people there, I think, are kind of like hippie-ish in a way. And it's a very laid back place. Um, it's kind of like, you know, one of the Florida Keys, but it's up here in North Carolina. So it was within driving distance. It's along the Outer Banks, right? Yes. Did, did you say that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we went there, and I just you know kind of devised a story around the setting and the characters. And um, one of the things, ironically, that uh, the editors at Five Star who published it, they said, uh, "Well, you know, this is a good story. Um, we just want you to punch up the romance elements more." <laughs> you know, which to me, being a guy, I guess. I was much more interested in you know the mystery aspects of it because it was a paranormal um, romance, 
So I was much more interested in like the ghosts because there were some pirates and ghosts and ghosts of pirates there. So I was much more interested in what was the history behind these ghosts. And, uh, you know, the editor's like, well, you know, the ghosts are cool and all, but we want to see a little bit more romance. We want to see, you know, him holding her hand and how their romance is developing and so forth. So, uh, you know, that I had to struggle with that a little bit and had to, you know, write not really an in-depth sex scene, but just, you know, the kind of, you know, guy getting to first or second base. And it was, it was all a really good learning experience for me because it was kind of pushing me and forcing me to go into areas where I probably would never have gone as a writer just because that's not my, where my comfort area was. So it was, it was a lot of fun and I'm really happy with how it turned out. Great. Great. Um, I guess, uh, one of the, 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 um, final questions that I have for you is I was just wondering kind of about your, your writing process. Um, you know, what that's like for you. Uh, um, earlier you mentioned that you, uh, usually try to write early in the morning. Um, I was just wondering, you know, do you write every day? Do you listen to music while you write? Um, just wondering what that process is like for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to write every day. Um, sometimes on the weekends it doesn't work just because I'm not real crazy about getting up at 4.30 on a Saturday or Sunday. Um, but um, if I don't get up that early on the weekends, I usually don't get any writing done just because once the day starts and you know, the kids wake up and your wife wakes up, you, I don't want to be stuck in my office typing away while they're out having fun. Sure. I want to be with my family. Um, but I usually try to get up, you know, during the week before work, um, and get my writing in just cause I feel like I've actually accomplished something for the day and, you know, getting a little bit closer to achieving my dreams and my goals. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, once I get up, um, and it helps, you know, once I'm kind of, you know, hooked onto my project that I'm working on, it's, it's really not that big a problem getting up early. So I'm excited and I know that I've only got an hour or two to work. So I usually can jump in fairly quickly. You know, I might check email, you know, that kind of thing, but I'm usually diving into it within a couple minutes and I'll listen to music. Um, usually what I'll do is, uh, whatever songs in my head at the time, I'll kind of do a quick uh, iTunes search and uh, get that song. And uh, I don't know if you mess with iTunes or not, but they have a cool new feature now. Genius. Uh, this genius feature. Yes. So what I'll do is whatever song is kind of in my head in the morning, I'll do like a genius search on that. And then that, that'll pull up any song that's kind of related to that song. So it kind of will give me that feel or that, that theme or that sound I was kind of looking for. And usually once I get going, the music kind of fades into the background anyway. Um, I'm not too distracted by it. Sure. It beats just hearing the, the dead silence of the house at 4.30 or 5 in the morning. Yeah. For some reason, that reminds me of an um, uh, interview that I read with Stephen King. And it's, I can't even remember where I read it now. It's the only time that I saw this. He was talking about the process of when he was trying to... Um, finish all of the dark tower books and it was after his accident and uh-huh. he had somewhat recovered and he had decided at that point, you know, if I'm, if I'm ever going to finish all of these books, I'm just going to do it now. And, and he basically sat down and I think he took like 18 months, if not longer. And just, I think wrote three books back to back, which was the, the, the final books. Uh-huh. <laughs> and during the, during the last part of writing that he, um, uh, he had a um, CD that someone had made for him, which all it was was 
different covers of the same song, that song Mambo Number no. Five, oh, um, wow. and he would just play it over and over. And he said, <laughs> and he said one time he was sitting at, at his um, computer uh, working, and someone came to the door, and he overheard his wife saying, "He's just doing it to drive me crazy." <laughs> I, can't I know, I know. Song. I know. I I can't either. I, I guess it's just something like you said, where it just kind of fades into the background, and it's kind of a, a you know some kind of barrier between him and the the world. I guess. But um, uh-huh. uh, well, great. Um, thanks for thanks for taking the time to to talk to me, and um, this has been a a, a good conversation. Um, and just before we wrap up, um, you can let people know, uh, your website and, you know, what, what you have coming up in the future. Okay. Okay. And, uh, thanks for having me too. Sure. Um, uh, I've got a website. Uh, I try to keep regularly updated more or less. Uh, it's just michaeljasper.net. Um, and I just, uh, redid my site recently this year just because I was doing it the old fashioned way with just HTML and now it's a WordPress site. Sure. But michaeljasper.net will get you there. And, um, hopefully, uh, this is mid December right now and we're recording this, uh, hopefully by the end of the year, 2008, um, a gathering of doorways, my, I'm calling it my, my rural fantasy novel, uh, will be out as opposed to an urban fantasy novel. Um, the publisher's having a little bit of trouble getting everything pulled together as far as cover art and so forth. Um, but that is scheduled to be out by the end of the year. So hopefully that we'll see that. And, uh, after that, I don't have anything really, uh, concrete scheduled for books coming out, but I'm hoping with the help of my agent, um, we'll be able to get this, uh, young adult fantasy series going. Great. Great. So everyone can look for a gathering of doorways and, um, Check out your site at michaeljasper.net. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. Um, I think that does it. Thanks a lot for joining us, Mike. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Okay, great. Thanks for listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to our feed in iTunes, leave us a review on iTunes, or send me an email at jeffrutherford at gmail.com. We will be back soon with another interview with a writer that you enjoy reading. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.